When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Okay, welcome to Cut Down Day Purple Daily, a podcast version here. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin with you. And much to discuss. A more exciting day than I thought on Vikings Cut Down Day, Courtney. Um, where would you like to begin? A lot of action on this day. Well, let's start with the kicker punter specialist situation that is kind of a surprise but really not a surprise given how badly Corey Vedvik struggled when he got to Minnesota and the Vikings deciding to release him on cut down day after there was you know it was very much an 11th hour decision from what I was under what I was told and, and my understanding of what was going on on cut down day over in Egan um it's not a situation that was very, it was very fluid. And I think that now the Vikings are in a weird spot because they're back where they started in a way. Like I think, you know, like 1000% back where they started minus, minus Kevin uh, McDermott, just to put it lightly. So um, yeah, it's weird. Corey Vedvik's gone, at least for now, they're going to try to bring him back on the practice squad. But I mean, where should we take this thing? I mean, where do you want to start here? The fact that they gave up a fifth round pick uh, 20 days ago for this guy and he's gone already. So just, you know, willy nilly with draft capital or the fact that he came here and struggled after going 12 of 13 on feet on field goals in the two preseasons he had in Baltimore. Well, I think the direction I'd like to go with it would be um, in one way. I've got a major criticism and in another way, I want to just pull it back a little bit. So let me start with the major criticism, which is when you panic, this is what happens, right? I mean, as an NFL team and the Vikings panicked, they hadn't even played what more than one preseason game. It was just one preseason game and decided that Matt Weil and Dan Bailey didn't look good enough. Like these guys are spending the entire off season getting ready for the regular season. And both of them are professional football players who have done this for a long time. And I understand that Dan Bailey has not had the greatest uh, recent performance, but he's still even been solid. He was halfway decent last year, more likely than not. He would be healthy coming into this year and perform better. He's one of the better kickers accuracy wise in the history of the game. We've seen plenty kickers go into their 40s like Matt Bryant and Gary Anderson back in the day and Matt Weil was a good punter last year not a great punter but a good punter so they saw the these two guys not performing well just early in camp and decided oh my gosh we have to do something right away I mean that that doesn't make a whole lot of sense so there's where I think the reasonable criticism is and like you said willy-nilly with draft capital should not be a thing that you are but they've been throwing it at specialists for how many years now that deserves a lot of criticism. Where I would it does. Put, 
Where would it does where, the Daniel the Daniel Carlson thing? I mean, that was that's still so recent. A fifth round pick just to cut him two weeks into the preseason, two weeks into the regular season when you probably should have should have cut him two weeks into the preseason last year uh, and gone with Kai Forbath. I mean, even before that, what they spend a sixth rounder on Blair Walsh, and we all know how that ha- what happened in that situation. And, and they then drafted Jeff Locke going back Jeff even Locke. farther. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I wonder do we do we start or I mean where do we like. I guess just like where can you point the arrows to where this thing went wrong? Maybe it starts with your strategy that you should be finding these guys not via draft picks. Yes, that's totally worth criticism. And this organization cannot find specialists or stick with the ones that are actually decent. And that uh, deserves the full force of what Twitter and we're giving it um, in terms of them getting hammered for just taking a fifth round pick, putting it in a bonfire and roasting marshmallows over it as it cooks. (laughs) Uh, Now, where I would pull it back is to say that I've gotten quite a few tweets of people that think Rick Spielman should be fired for this. Um, and that, and in that way, I would say, look, you do have one of the more talented rosters in the entire NFL. So maybe if you felt like Dan Bailey is not getting better after 75% of two years and Matt Weil uh, was only okay last year and you think you're going to have to improve at the punter, then you take a little bit of a risk to try and bring in someone else and maybe you find a gem. And if you don't, you only lost the fifth round pick. So it's not a first round pick or a second round pick where you'd expect to get a starter. It's a fifth and Rick Spielman has already traded for two more conditional picks with Danny Isadora and who am I missing? They the cornerback that they got this morning, Matt uh, Fields. Oh, yeah, the field, Fields. Field, Fields, right. They spend a conditional pick to bring in a real player with, with, a, with a seventh. I mean, I, I guess as much as it deserves to get hammered, it's not like the end of the world that they took a risk to try and get a guy who had been successful with Baltimore and then wasn't here. No, but I feel like this is the common theme here where it's a knee-jerk reaction to special teams. And that's why I asked Mike Zimmer about that um, at the end of last week before the Buffalo game. Like, how have you, what have you learned about yourself as a coach and how you handle kickers who struggle in the preseason going into the regular season? And the answer was, I'll read it to you. I have it right here. Quote, it's a good question. I guess the biggest thing is I've had is I've got to have more patience, probably. No kidding. Like the knee jerk reaction to special teams and, and bringing guys in to create pseudo competitions when it's not even there and keeping guys around far too long, not give them any chance to, you know, go find another team. I mean, the way the Austin cutting situation was handled just to begin with, uh, in my opinion, was not handled well. You, you draft a, use your last pick in the seventh round, you're the only team that drafts a long snapper in April. Uh, Kevin McDermott should have been cut right then and there so he could have gone and found another team and not really wasted his time here in training camp. And Mm -hmm. I think you created the problems there because as Dan Bailey talked about at multiple points, you and I talked to him after the first, uh, the night scrimmage at TCO uh, stadium. Like it's very difficult to get your timing and rhythm down when you have two different long snappers. That's, that's very hard. And, and they, they created that problem by having, uh, Dan Bailey working with Austin Cutting and Kevin McDermott for at least two first two and a half weeks of training camp. Um, so I think just the way that they handled this and that it always feels like, okay, like let's panic, let's freak out about special teams because this team has been cursed by kicks um, that have mattered in really, really big games. 
that's not the way that you handle it. And it's almost like they haven't really learned from their mistakes in that sense because they, it feels like they made it worse. Yes. In my opinion. Yeah. I told, I totally agree that they have not learned how to manage this. And when they brought in Marwin Maloof, I remember his first press conference. I was chuckling to myself that all the questions were about kickers and he was standing up there saying, Oh no, we know how to assess kickers. And um, they bring in Nate Kading to help them and try to put walls up between Mike Zimmer and the kickers and still they end up making a mistake. So even when they tried to prevent themselves from making an error, they still did with Corey Vedvik, but they may save face a little bit here if they put him on the practice squad and then call him a developmental kicker slash punter. And then maybe he becomes the best kicker of all time. I guess we'll see. Uh, Well, it's just like, let's back up here. Do you remember when they were on August 11th, 2019 in the year of our Lord, as in (laughs) 20 days ago, we're talking about, yeah, maybe he can be a kicker and a punter. Uh, Yes. (laughs) This this is going to be one of, as beat writers, we will laugh about this situation like throughout the year. Like, hey, remember what happened with Corey Vedvik five years from now when he's not on this team? And maybe not. Maybe he's going and, and kicking game-winning field goals for another franchise. I'm just uh, thinking, okay, like, hey, remember how they handled that here when they thought they were literally going to have him do two jobs and save a roster spot? Like, I don't know if they were actually serious about that. I really don't think they were. But to even insinuate it and just kind of run that charade of letting him punt and kick in ga- in preseason games, like, what were they doing? Like, <laughs> like, like I, I'm looking I at this and I'm trying not to laugh. I and know. I'm trying to, trying to be professional about this, but what were they doing? Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, yes, right? Like, just, it wasn't that long ago, just a couple weeks, where there were article after article written about, like, oh, it hasn't happened since 1981, and maybe it will Thank be you. a yes. kicker and a butter. Thank you for referencing and then, my stat. And then <laughs> the guy gives up a punt return for touchdown. He shanks all his field goals, and that's the end of that. Uh, I think you know what we'll do in the media room a couple of years from now to celebrate this, but... Um, <laughs> we'll just we'll just we'll keep that internal as the teams like to say. All right, let's move on to the next thing because this is we'll probably just have a a laughing fit if we continue this. So, uh Laquan Treadwell is uh gone as we expected. Yeah. I did start to at the very end make a case because everyone else had been so poor that they should just keep him at this point, but it makes sense to move on from him. There's no potential left. He basically didn't see a first team rep from start to finish at training camp. It was over before it started. So how do we view this one, Courtney? Do we put this in the same category as the kicker of, hey, front office, look what you did? Or, or do we say, you know what? Sometimes things just don't work out, and it didn't with Laquan Treadwell. You know, I'm leading towards the latter, and I know you and I have talked about this on Purple Daily a bunch. Like, can you really fault the Vikings when all of the news, the word on Treadwell was all the same? He has a potential to be a very good pro. I know that Lance Zierlein had him at his comp- his uh, comparison in the NFL as DeAndre Hopkins, mm-hmm. and I know that there's there's some sort of discrepancy about when those you know when that draft profile and comparison was actually put out. I don't know. I don't care. What the one thing here's the bottom line: he had a really really serious ankle dislocation and fibula fracture, and people knew that that would potentially hinder him at the NFL level. But there were multiple teams, not just the Vikings, who thought that this guy had a chance to be a good pro. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It didn't happen. He couldn't get separation um, at this level. He couldn't win against elite-level DBs. But it's more than that. It was the mental game of this for him. And and just how long it took him to come on, 
you know, his first season, he's, he has one catch for 15 yards. Like he didn't play. He got, he was a, a healthy scratch for most of um, the 2016 season. Like that says more about the player, I think. And just, you know, coaching is coaches not feeling he was NFL ready from the start. And he just failed to catch up at that point. Like, you know, for anybody to insinuate the Vikings didn't give him every chance he could possibly have because that's what you do with first-round picks. They have a very long leash because of the financial burden t- tied to them. Um, that's just false. They, they gave Laquan every chance to be great. Um, I know that, you know, there were there was a tweet earlier. Um, he told a reporter that, you know, basically it sounded like the book was written on him going into this season and that he wasn't going to get as many opportunities. I do believe that's probably true. Um, but they still kept him around through training camp. They still tried to trade him. They still tried to give him an opportunity to have a, a fresh start, clean slate elsewhere, and it didn't happen. So now he hits waivers, and another team's going to have to pick, you know, will eventually probably pick him up. But, you know, he still gets his money. Like Laquan Treadwell walks away from this, you know, with the last laugh. He still gets his money because of the, you know, the proration on his signing bonus that he had as a rookie and then the guaranteed portion of his contract. Yeah, you know, um, it is good for him. The wallet won't suffer. He's still going to get paid. But, uh, you know, he is right that he came into this camp with pretty much no chance to make the team. Exactly. But but for reasons of he didn't play well for two straight seasons. I mean, even if you said the first season was a wash because he was hurt along the way and missed some time and was still recovering from that leg injury. But Pat Shermer and John Filippo gave him chances and I'm not sure why, especially John Filippo did last year. I know he had a decent camp, but uh, having the tape from the year before to still go out there and use him to target him as much as they did, now that looks really ridiculous. I mean, to have this guy out there on a fourth down against New Orleans getting targeted, on a fourth down against New England getting targeted, big situations, big games, and they were throwing in his direction. And for a year later, for Gary Kubiak to come in here and Kevin Stefanski take the reins and them to say, yeah, it's over. You can't play. Like, wait a minute. Nothing changed between last year and this year. And they were convinced last year that it was a good idea to have him on the field in big situations and throw to him. I mean, that, <laughs> yeah, Kurt, that, that to me is just crazy. I, I don't really understand why Kirk kept going back to him. I think about that Green Bay game. And I know I asked Kirk about that after the game. And I was like trying to couch it with like not being a jerk, being like, why you keep targeting this guy? He keeps dropping the ball. But I said it in nicer terms. And I get it. They wanted to give him every chance. But there's potential there. He's a big body threat who can run underneath. But it just it never panned out. Like he never created the mismatches. Teams were able to figure out that if Laquan Treadwell's on the field on third down, they're going to him and you need to cover him. Like it's it's just it's a it was a bad situation and I just don't you know this to me is about the cleanest break that you can get. Like, yes, incur the financial penalty, have a sour taste in your mouth about that, but you move on and you don't have to deal with it anymore. The black eye is the black eye with Laquan Treadwell. It didn't work out. You can play the hindsight game, Matthew, all you want. You can go and blame the scouting department. You can blame the coaching staff. You can blame Spielman and his staff. You can blame Treadwell. Like, There's a million reasons why this didn't work out. But to blame it solely on, oh, the Vikings got this wrong, it's just not accurate because some other team along the way that would have picked him had the Vikings not would be probably dealing with the exact same scenario right now. And they were probably going to pick him in the same range. And that's where I say draft hindsight, you better be able to look at somebody and say from the very first day, 
Why did you draft that guy there? Now, Willie Beavers would be a good example of this. Nobody had Willie Beavers as a fourth-round pick, and then all of a sudden he's selected, and it's like, wait, who? No one's ever even heard of this guy, and in today's world with the draft, usually the draft analysts, uh, there's so many of them that you're hearing about guys uh, to be selected in that sort of range, and uh, you know when that happens, then you can second-guess. When it's a guy who's drafted in the second half of the first round where there's a ton of bust all the time I think you just look at it and say well at least their process made sense at the time they needed a receiver or they thought they did they didn't know what they had in Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen and so of course they just drafted um, you know the best receiver who was there at the time they didn't know Michael Thomas was going to turn out to be a superstar so the, the book is closed on Laquan Treadwell my next item here Courtney is trading for someone named Mark Fields hello Mark or should hi, I say, Mark. wait, I screwed that up. Oh, hi, Mark, which is a deep cut reference to a movie, but whatever. Well, his Instagram name is, um, I think it's the Black Bruce Lee. <laughs> um, I found this out earlier. I'm not really sure what that means, or um, it may be just a big fan of those movies. Um, yeah, Mark Fields. I'm looking this up right now. Let's see here. Black Bruce Lee underscore. Mark Fields is second. So, um, so there's a Mark, there's a Mark Field the first by you, his father. If you don't know the movie, uh, it's called The Disaster Artist. You ever heard of it? No, you know me. I'm bad at pop yeah. Culture. I know it was basically this this <laughs> cult classic, really horrendous movie. And James Franco did a movie, and uh, Seth Rogen sort of like about how it came to be, and it, it was really good. And one of the, in one of the scenes. Uh, the, one of the characters is holding a football and he turns around and he says, Oh, hi Mark. And it's really funny. So um, that's what I say to Mark Fields. What do we make of Mark Fields being acquired all by right. the Vikings, Courtney? Well, all right. So like I went back and looked like, you know, I was trying not to gauge everything solely on his preseason grades. Um, from what I read this morning and just trying to like scour, you know, a bunch of chiefs writers and what they had written about this guy. It, he's a UDFA from Clemson. He played. He only started six games there. So the inexperience thing, I think, is part of the reason why he was not drafted to begin with. Um, but the you know beyond that, like he had a decent start to the you know to the offseason program to training camp. Um, it was more technical deficiencies in his game, like you know leaning forward too much. I was trying to watch someone's fake film breakdown, but it's, you know, <laughs> not trying to, not trying to be a jerk here, but I was like, you someone's know, nobody film really, breakdown. nobody, dude's break, breaking down film. I know it's FA amazing. Good Lord. It is um, amazing. But anyways, like he struggled, he had an up and down preseason. And then I guess he had multiple penalties in the green Bay finale for the chiefs uh, the other week. And Todd McShay, who was doing broadcast for the, the chiefs, like uh, local TV partner, uh, was caught like on like they picked up audio from him and I guess he said it was he was talking to Andy Reid and Andy Reid was hot just about um you know just about like the whole situation and so he made it sound like he was not going to be on the team on the Chiefs at all so it's like okay why did the Vikings trade a twenty twenty one conditional seventh round pick to mini to the Chiefs for a guy that was probably going to get cut to begin with. That's the only concern I have here, but this speaks to a bigger picture that Minnesota clearly did not feel that confident in what it had among Chris Boyd, Duke Thomas, Darren Smith, um, maybe Marcus Epps. I mean, a lot of the guys, these young corners, young DBs, like they weren't really great in the preseason. 
very up and down, flashes here and there. So clearly they see something in this guy's game that they a technical deficiency they think they can fix with Mike Zimmer. Um, and that's the reason they brought him on because you don't have good cornerback depth right now. And this this guy's probably going to play a role until Mike Hughes comes back. And, and they seem to really love these guys from Clemson with Mackenzie Alexander, J. Ron Curse, and now Mark Fields. Um, this would be one where you say, well, if Mike Zimmer likes the guy, then I guess you just go for it because they've had enough success developing cornerbacks with Mike Zimmer. But I've got to think that this is just a Band-Aid over a pretty big wound that they have at that position with Xavier Rhodes not looking good in training camp slash preseason. And, uh, you know, Trey Waynes is fine, but he had some injuries last year. And then Alexander having to play the nickel. And we're not even 100% sure that Alexander is a good player. He had a good second half of last year, but struggled early on in the season and teams attacked him. So it's not even a certainty that Mackenzie Alexander is great. This team has all of a sudden kind of gone from having great secondary depth to trading for someone named Mark Fields. Yeah, I mean, isn't that kind of funny when you think back to like the offseason and Zimmer was, you know, glowing about how excited he was that Xavier Rhodes can turn the corner here in year whatever it is for him. Uh, you know, with, with Trey Waynes and, and what's on the table for him beyond this season, Mackenzie Alexander, Mike Hughes, um, and Holton Hill. But then it all fell apart. Suspensions and, you know, a multi-ligament tear in the, in the ACL for Mike Hughes. I mean, it's not like – it just feels like it all kind of came crumbling down at once. And then, like, it's like all of a sudden you have great depth in your secondary, and then all of a sudden you are in a crap ton of trouble. I think the only positive here about the secondary depth is that the starters remained healthy and J run curse looked legit great in preseason. I mean, it seems like he's really got it. I talked to him about this and he was talking about how, you know, after a couple of years of development, he doesn't have to think as much and he's comfortable with his role and he's going to be the big nickel. But I even think he could fill in as a starter if he had to, at this point, which I would not have said uh, a couple of years ago about J Ron curse, like not yeah. at all. So the, the another like, success story of Mike Zimmer in developing corners for sure and I mean like they didn't draft J. Ron Curse to play special teams um it just so happened that he really struggled early on and I know that Zimmer was pretty glowing just talking about um how clueless he looked in Chicago uh the year he was drafted that first game that he had to play some significant uh, significant time and just to where he's at now and that maybe like you mentioned like there could be a point this season he surpasses Anthony Harris um, and is starting opposite Harrison Smith. Like, don't sleep on that. Um, he's more than just, you know, your hybrid safety linebacker who's playing, you know, in the slot from time to time. So I think it's a good situation for him. And as you said, Mike Zimmer's taking corners his entire career and developed them. So if you're going to trade a seventh-round pick, a conditional one in 2021, you clearly see something in this guy that your coaching staff can fix because – it's not hard to believe that this guy was probably going to get released anyways, unless they knew that other teams were calling. So it is kind of a head scratcher with that, but um, you know, we'll see, we'll see what role he plays early on. I mean, the roster definitely is not finalized by any stretch, uh, but with the corner position, like maybe they comb over waivers on Sunday and there's more guys they want and they end up releasing Mark Fields or, or somebody else. Could I don't totally know. I happened. Mean, yep. It totally happened. By the time you're listening to this podcast, that might have happened. Um, so, 
So we'll see what happens there. Uh, but I did see that some other of the veteran corners who were signed in the offseason that the Vikings talked to were also cut. So it's not like you yeah. could say, oh, they should have gone and got this guy or that guy because almost none of them have worked out. And we've seen how tough it is for corners to come in and learn Zimmer's system right away, defensive backs in general, and uh, and have it work out. So let's talk about, um, tell me which one is the better story. You pick one. Afadi Adenabo, Mike Boone, or Brandon Dillon on the 53? Man. Who's got the best story there? You know, if you like if you like the stories of perseverance and, you know, try, try, try again, you got to love Afadi Adenabo's story. You know, he comes in here from Northwestern, I think it's seventh-round pick in 2017, uh, doesn't make the team, put on practice squad. Last year really impressed them during training camp because they moved him when he first got here. They moved him inside a defensive tackle. It didn't work out. And then they're like, well, let's move him back to defensive end and see what we got. And they realized they had a really promising prospect because the Browns picked him up after they cut him last year. Um, he bounced around. He was in Arizona. By the end of the season, he was back with the Vikings. And then year three, you could tell from throughout the offseason, he had a very good shot early on to make this roster. Just talking to coaches and front office people and, and hearing, okay, who are you excited about? who's really come back in great shape, looking like they're going to be a huge part of this defensive line this year. And Afadi's name just kept coming up at every turn. Mm -hmm. So I love that story. I think it's a good perseverance story. I mean, but Mike Boone too, like a month and a half ago, at the end of July, you and I are talking about this and we're not thinking that Mike Boone is going to beat out Amir Abdullah for, for running back spot number three. And here we are a few cup, you know, four preseason games deep putting together a really good performance and showing his skill set more closely mirrors Dalvin Cooks. And it's nice to have that as a running back, as your number three running back. I don't know if he's necessarily, I mean, I'll be curious when the actual depth chart comes out, if he, you know, might've made a push for running back number two, but you know, it's a great story. Like I, you know, Mike Boone has been, um, he wasn't really given any chances at all last year. And I know that that was kind of a fun training camp battle between him and rock Thomas. And now that he gets a chance to actually be utilized in this offense, which I do think will be quite a bit. Um, I'm excited to see what he can do. You know, um, all, yeah, all three of these are, are great stories. And the fact that Mike Boone played as well as he did and then uh, was good enough on special teams to convince the coaching staff to keep keep him. Um, it wasn't the biggest surprise ever, but I think one where you're like, yeah, okay, that guy went out and really earned that job. But uh, the Brandon Dillon one is really something because – they basically sure. had to force a spot on the roster for him. You had been calling four tight ends the whole time. And, you know, of course it was possible, but usually you don't see four tight ends on the roster. So they had to push to, to do this with Brandon Dillon. And he just played great and he was good in practice and he caught everything that was thrown his way. And even then I thought practice squad for Brandon Dillon, but the fact that he played as well as he did and earned a spot. I mean, I go back to when Mike Zimmer was asked by me, yeah. Uh, has has anyone stood out to you like that you didn't expect or whatever? And he said Brandon Dillon. And I think all of us went, oh, okay, I guess. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that because it felt like he was number 87 of 90 on the roster at that time. And this is just goes to Mike Zimmer tells us the truth. And in this case, he was telling the truth that Brandon Dillon impressed him. And now he's he's got a roster spot. And I, I think what the best skill that the guy has is he catches absolutely everything. It kind of reminds me of Kyle Rudolph. Like he isn't the fastest tight end I've ever seen, but when you throw him the ball, he's there. He's going to need to improve some parts of his game, but I wouldn't be surprised if he got in and caught a few balls this year. Would you? 
No, not at all, especially when David Morgan's going to be out for the first, at least the first six weeks. He's starting on the pup list, um, and it could be even longer until they activate him off that and bring him back. He's Dylan's got a great opportunity to showcase himself because if they do end up cutting him uh, to make the room for Morgan to get back on the roster, he could get easily get picked up by somebody else if he has a good first six weeks at minimum. Um, and we saw it this training camp. I mean, that, that the Marion flash thing that Kirk turned to us and was like, that's his nickname. Uh, <laughs> write it down. And well, that was because he made that one handed Odell Beckham jr. Style catch and practice on the sideline. And he looked really good. I mean, I had Cole Heikatini. It was kind of a last minute decision for me. And I should have gone with my gut. Cause I kept saying, okay, there's a reason Brandon Dillon keeps getting the reps that he's getting with a third team and keeps getting brought into the conversation. Uh, when you talk to players and coaches, you should have a chance. And I ended up going with Heikatini and he got cut. So, um, you know, more power to him. I, you know, they, they need a lot of tight ends in this offense. It's an important position in Gary Kubiak's scheme that they're going to be running with Kevin Stefanski. So uh, more bodies and the better. But I just, I am curious as to what that kind of means at the end for, for, Ky- uh, for Kari Blasingame, the other fullback. I mean, I think that they try to get him on the practice squad. I would guess so too. Um, all right, last thing. And I actually, just before that, I, I didn't say much about Odenabo, but just want to echo what you said. I mean, this guy is like the definition of perseverance from going to Cleveland to Arizona to just keeping getting cut and cut and cut, even by this team twice, and to come back here and keep battling. And he was never giving interviews, making excuses or anything else like that. He just showed up and worked, and now he's on the team. And, and like that, I mean, that's one of those sort of classic football stories of a guy mm-hmm. who just had to battle and battle and battle and finally made it. Uh, actually, let me, before we get to our final, final thing, let me give a shout-out to you. A little shout-out to Courtney Cronin for talking about Ole Udo. <laughs> and I made, <laughs> I made fun of you for this. But you sure o- did. But Ole Udo is making it. So... Uh, you have the floor to discuss Ole Udo as much as you would like. Go ahead. What can you say about Ole Udo? <laughs> Is there anything you want to say about Ole Udo? He made the roster. <laughs> there, you go. there you have it. Well, I mean, it clearly, <laughs> if it pans out, then it shows them that they have a really good scouting department that can find these diamond in the roughs from small schools. Because look at the situations happening in Houston right now with Titus Howard. They've tried him freaking everywhere on the offensive line. I mean, yes, he's been hurt. I think he had the hand injury, but they couldn't find a spot for him. They spent a first-round pick on that guy coming Mm. out of Alabama State. And sometimes it's just its a matter of hitting and missing. It's so hard with those small school guys um, because the level of competition you're judging them off of against what they're playing was so much different than like a guy who's at a Power 5 school. So good for the Vikings for finding this guy. Um, we'll see where he ends up uh, on this roster, assuming he sticks and all that. But I think it speaks to a larger thing here with the offensive line. Their tackle numbers are a concern. We don't know when Brian O'Neill is going to be ready. You know, Mike Zimmer said a while ago it was not a big thing. Well, he hasn't played, uh, you know, in the preseason, and that's kind of concerning. So, you know, you, you need those numbers. And I do believe that once, you know, once it's all said and done, they're going to have good tackle depth, at least like better than what it was, um, you know, at other points. But it's just kind of crazy when you look at the offensive line here that they get rid of Aviant Collins, they get rid of Danny Isadora via trade. Like this is a team that had depth issues, and now they're going saying, hey, we don't need this guy. We don't need this guy. We'll be fine without this guy. Like it's mm-hmm. kind of crazy 
Like that's like a complete 180 from where they were a couple months ago, even. Yeah, it's become one of their strongest overall positions in terms of depth. But we'll see exactly how the starters hold up, especially since now they have to play Jadavion Clowney in Seattle. Uh, but that is another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's wrap here with Kyle Sloter. All right. Um, all right. Let me just say this. We told you. I mean, we told you the truth. That's what we do. That's what we do on the per- on Purple Daily. We um, gather the information. We go out there every day, spend a lot of time on it because it's our careers and that's what they pay us for. So we go out there to TCO Performance Center. We talk to everybody we can. We get all the information we can. And then we bring it back to you. And sometimes things don't always turn out the way that we expect, but we're always telling you the truth. We're always telling you the facts of the matter. And so when we tell you that preseason games don't matter much to an evaluation, then that's the truth because we do this. Like, that's what we do. So, I mean, that's all I really have on it. Like, yeah, we, we I don't, st- I don't have much else to add other than teams, pe- fans fall in love with the number three quarterback. It just always happens. It happened with Taylor Heineke a few years ago. Um, people who have cool names like McLeod uh, Bethel Thompson. Sure. John David Booty. Yes. Like, you three know, names people, usually. Yeah. Yeah. People love that stuff, but if you're questioning, and I look, I'm not. We play devil's advocate here. I get it, but you don't believe everything a coaching staff tells you. But to insinuate that the Vikings did not already know the book on Kyle Sloter for the last three years and thinking they got it wrong, they're you know we've seen him. Like, are you seeing him in practice? Because if you are, then please let us get in with you because we're not allowed to see him in practice during the year. And multiple sources I have spoken with all echoed the exact same thing of what happens when Sloter is running scout team quarterback, which is an incredibly difficult job to do. And very important. Um, and incredibly important. He's getting the checks wrong. It's timing, decision, accuracy. It's um, making the wrong, you know, the wrong read, the wrong, calling out the wrong play in the huddle, commanding the huddle wrongly. It's, it's little things that, yeah, you can go there and play backyard football all you want, in games, that's not what they, that's not what you need. Like in preseason games, it's fine. Get somebody to run out there, to run around, to go off script, to, to throw play action passes uh, against third team defenses. That's fine. But when the game is on the line, anybody who insinuates starting Kyle Sloter over Kirk Cousins has just got it flat out wrong. And that's where I'm going to leave it because it's, it, it's kind of like become this exhausting conversation that we're talking like this much about a number three quarterback you wish him the best. You hope he signs on somewhere. I think he will. Um, I, you know, they're going to have Jake Browning hopefully on the practice squad is what they believe. Like they think they can get him through, which means you know for Sloter, go go get a he can go have a chance now to compete for a number two job at a team that maybe it's not as readily decided. Yeah, uh, that's probably what's going to happen here. And you know, the other thing too about it, and Sage Rosenfels laid this out beautifully on the podcast the other day. Sage said, as if you're the number three. You are to be seen and not heard. And when you go to reporters and you tell them that they're wrong and you tweet that they're wrong and you call it a narrative and your dads and your uncles and everybody you know is tweeting at reporters telling them they're stupid and crazy, guess who that's not a good look for? It's not a good look for you. It doesn't matter to us. You can tweet at us whatever you want. But when it comes to how the team's going to view you, they get exhausted on that stuff. You're not supposed to be in the media talking to reporters all the time and telling them that you're this and you're that. Um, when you're the number three and that's, you know, and I, and I give Kirk Cousins a little bit of credit for this, for fining him $20 because it was a little bit of like, Hey man, you're the number three. Stop doing that. 
You know, like even it it made me think about how Kirk Cousins just got shredded by everyone. Rightfully so. He makes a lot of money and he came up short and disappointed everyone and didn't play very well. But like, think, think about uh, like how much he got criticized and shredded and he never goes up to the podium and says, oh, you guys are making it up or whatever else. I mean, I, and if anybody was in a position to do that, I mean, maybe it would be a guy who's a starter and has been good in this league for a long time. And instead he handled it professionally. I don't think Kyle Sloter handled this professionally. And if I were evaluating him, I would have been like, you know what? If I'm on the fence, I know which way I'm jumping because of you running your mouth. And uh, that got really tiresome for everybody, especially us, to get tweets like that. I don't blame fans at all for being excited about a young quarterback that they don't know and seeing him put up numbers. But when we had people, including Sloter, saying we were making it up or lying, that's that's where both you and I got well, upset. Is like, don't, yeah, I, don't I say we're making it up, though. Exactly. Well, in the head, you're calling the head coach a liar then, too, because Mike Zimmer's evaluation that Sloter is a better game player in terms of what he's done in preseason games against third string competition than he is in practice. Um, you know, practice is an important part of, of what you do. And like, like I mentioned, like he's running the scout team. That's not a job you can take lightly. And when you're messing it up, um, coaches aren't happy with that. Like, mm-hmm. but like, don't take our word for it. Take Mike Zimmer's word for it. Take him saying, quote, he's got to get a lot better in a lot of other parts of being a quarterback. Make the right checks, getting people in the right formation, making sure the motion is there, not missing the time clock when it's eight yards in front of you. <laughs> yeah, he said that straight out. Um, like, yeah. what, like, and, call, oh, I, I, you know, I'm, well, one I'm last tired, thing, Matthew. I know, tired. it is tired. One last thing on it is when I get the tweets that say, well, this team has never been good at evaluating quarterbacks. Um, well, okay, then I will wait for the names of number two and number three quarterbacks that they've let go who have become good quarterbacks. I'll wait for them. I can't name any. Can you? I I can't think of a single backup who left here. Taylor Heineke got cut by Carolina. McLeod Bethel Thompson plays in the CFL. I mean, there's no, you can't, they know how to evaluate quarterbacks. You can't say Teddy Bridgewater either. Well, like, right, don't he got say hurt. That. Teddy Bridgewater was in line to be a franchise quarterback. He gets hurt in one of the weirdest incidents ever. I mean, that that's what's crazy to me is people are like, well, what about Christian Ponder? As if these two situations are remotely similar. So anyway, that that's it. Uh, that's the day. And continue to listen to a podcast where we do the work and don't just make it up and post it on our fun blog. Like we actually do the work for you. So you're welcome. And it's free. Uh, and uh you know, we appreciate everybody um, riding along with us for this preseason and training camp. And now, Courtney, we get to finally football. You know what? Week one is uh, it's been in the distance for so long. And now I'm I can see it. It's like the light at the end of the tunnel. And, <laughs> and I'm getting closer to it. Um, but I am sad that Blair Walsh is not on the Falcons oh, coming to Minnesota yeah. because there goes my week one storyline. That's Just kidding. I, I don't write yeah. crap like that. Matt Bryant will be kicking the game winning field goal <laughs> for that one. So. All right, Uh, Courtney, we will be together again very soon on the Purple Daily Show. So thank you and thank you all for listening here to this post cut down day breakdown on Score North. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or mac and cheese with Murray's English cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays, and Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. 
Baker's, fresh for everyone. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.